following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today's reading is uh, from Isaiah uh, 11. Uh, It is on page uh, 558 in the Red Bibles, if you care to follow along. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist Faithfulness, the belt around his loins. The wolf shall lie with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the fox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adler's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge and the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. Thank you, Dan. So I'm going to be shorter than usual today, uh, additional pre-sermon announcements notwithstanding, because we are allowing time for the uh, kids' Christmas pageant, which, as Pastor Jesse said, is happening at the very end of today's service. So we'll send forth from this place at the usual time, even though we have that extra piece at the, uh, at the end of the service. And I will do everything I can to be a little bit short, shorter than usual. Um, That said, there's a great deal of meaning and beauty to be found in these lectionary readings uh, today. This week, the the way they kind of overflow with each other and uh, have this cross-pollination is really quite interesting. Um, There's there's some fascinating overlap between the Christian scripture texts and the Jewish scripture texts, which would give us this multi-layered meaning and would provide a depth and complexity that I'm sure that we would enjoy discovering. Um, there are some fascinating linguistic things. Uh, where, my, where are my word nerds at? Um, at where are my word nerds, I think is the way you do that, because you don't want to end a colloquialism with a preposition. Um, <laughs> uh, but like words with double meanings and, and phrases that are used in one text and then quoted later in, in a different text to support a new idea, key words that are repeated over and over again with slightly different meanings, um, as if it's just trying to bury us with say, hope. Um, For those who enjoy poetry, there's a a pile of rich imagery uh, in these texts. There's imagery about trees and about space and about the ocean and about all kinds of animals and some apparently vegan future. Um, Imagery about 
fire and farming and forestry, about swords and axes, about breath and burning. Imagery that we could go through slowly, ponderously, um, the way you go through an art gallery. But because we don't have time to do all that, I guess the best I can do is suggest that uh, you spend some time this week looking back at the text, if, if any of that seems to spark uh, joy with you, to coin a phrase, um, if you haven't already studied them. And maybe one or two of those things will find their way back to us in the next few minutes. But for the purposes of, of today's sermon, I will limit myself to one single point, one big important idea, and let me give it to you right here at the beginning. The big idea, the single point is this. When everything seems dead, God brings life, because that's what God does. I actually think all of the lectionary passages today point us to that same idea, each in their own way. When everything seems dead, God brings life, because that's what God does. And it starts with the first verse of Isaiah chapter 11 which you just heard read so beautifully. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. How is that for a beautiful image? Something growing out of a stump. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, live rural enough to ever have seen this happen. Hopefully, even if you're a city dweller, you get out into the, the woods sometimes. And when a tree has been cut down... You know, think of the end of the giving tree, right? It's just this, just this stump on the ground. It doesn't seem to have any purpose or, or future at all. And yet, sometimes what actually does happen is, is the tree starts to regrow out of that stump. Something new starts to emerge from that place of utter flattening death. And by the way, think of what happens when you pair this verse about a, a shoot growing out of the stump Um, with the rather ominous verse that you may have noticed in the gospel reading before our confession of sin today (laughs) that said, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a very hopeful verse, but it does evoke the picture of a stump, doesn't it? Even when God's own judgment leaves a stump, There's hope that something green will grow out of it. Because when everything seems dead, God brings life. Because that's what God does. Speaking of the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 3. We read that in the liturgy where we did, right before the confession of sin, because it is a piece of scripture that gets our attention, isn't it? It, It's one that encourages us to think about our own need for repentance. But but remember how that passage began in Matthew 3 with a picture of John the Baptist. And then the explanation in verse 3, speaking of John, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is uh, a classic Advent text, prepare ye the way of the Lord in the King James Version. And it goes on to make the point of how exactly how eccentric John the Baptist was, describing that he dressed funny and ate weird things and lived out in the wilderness. And so when we read the, the verse that says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, we read it like that. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, 
And what does the voice cry out to say? Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. But I wonder if the quotation marks might be misplaced by a few words when we read the passage that way. What if it was this? The voice of one crying out, colon, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Do you see what's slightly different about it when you read it that way? Now, I'll just say, this is one of those things that's probably impossible to know what the original text actually said. The amount of accuracy we have from the Hebrew originals is not high enough to give us that with any certainty, Um, and the ancient languages are not particularly precise about that kind of thing anyway. But my very limited understanding of Hebrew grammar is is that um, it is possible that that's actually the meaning of the original text in the prophet Isaiah. Why is that significant? Well, I think it's significant because some of you are in the wilderness. And it might be nice to know that the way starts out there, not somewhere else. Because when you're in the wilderness, obviously the wilderness isn't out there. It's right here. So even though this rather harsh-sounding reading from Matthew calls us to things like repentance and warns us that the axe is lying at the foot of the tree, it also offers us some real hope. Hope in a stump. Hope in the wilderness. Not at some future time when you've found your way out, but right there in the wilderness is where the path begins. When everything seems dead, God brings life because that's what God does. And so I want to begin to conclude this sermon here by taking a look at the epistle reading. Remember I said that I find this hope in pretty much all of the main texts from the lectionary today? Um, On this second Sunday in Advent, the the epistle reading is from Romans 15. And uh, here, if if you're interested in kind of following along a little bit more deeply, you might open one of the Red Bibles to page 924 and and take a look at that passage. It hasn't been read in the service yet today. We'll use a little bit of it later at the benediction. Um, So you might want to be able to look at it. But anyway, it starts like this. The Apostle Paul saying, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now allow me to get slightly meta here. Um, It won't be too too complicated, I don't think. But um, the Apostle Paul, who authored this letter, is referring to the ancient writings of Judaism, which he goes on later in the passage to quote from, as we'll see in just a minute. But for us at this point, hundreds and hundreds of years after the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, the words that he actually wrote are themselves an ancient writing. You see what I'm saying? So for us, I think that the words he wrote about the Hebrew Bible actually applied now to his own words, which is to say that all of these old writings were written for our instruction, not just the ones he's talking about and about to quote from, but the ones that he's actually putting pen to paper Uh, writing about. I think he probably used a a fountain pen. He was that type of person. (laughs) Um, You know, I really shouldn't just ad-lib. It's just bad. (laughs) 
nothing about pen and paper in my text here in front of me. Yeah, that's, uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, all of that is written for our instruction. And why is it written for our instruction? So that we might have what? Hope. He goes on to say in verse 5, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together with one voice. You know, uh, the, the literal Greek word that's used there is actually mouth. <laughs> Together with one mouth. The idea being that Christ's people are so unified, living in so much harmony with one another, that they speak with the same mouth. Now you have to understand what a radical idea this was. Because he's talking uh, about Jews and Gentiles praising God together as one group. He's writing to them as one group because they are all part of the same church. Now there's a whole lot of religious inside baseball that goes into that, and sometimes we do talk about that stuff. But suffice it to say that this unification of these groups was deeply significant. The Holy Spirit had done this incredible work. And I think that, for what it's worth, the Holy Spirit continues to do that kind of incredible work And for us, the the separation that we see is not between Jews and Gentiles. There's all kinds of other separations that we deal with. And and you might be part uh, of uh, a group of people, for whatever reason, who has been excluded from the church, who feels uh, marginalized, not just from the church, but by the church, who feels like you don't have a place with the people who are on the inside. And I believe that the Holy Spirit's work today continues to be unifying groups that are uh, at odds with each other. It's just different groups. Not only is that God's continual plan for the world today, but I actually don't think it was a new thing at all at the time of the Christian church's forming. The Holy Spirit had done this incredible work which felt like a brand new thing to the people of God. And it gave them great hope, except that it wasn't brand new. It was brand new to them, but it wasn't new to God. This is what I think Paul goes on to show in the same passage from Romans by quoting from those ancient writings that he was talking about. Remember the ones that were written for our instruction so that we might have hope? This is what he says. He says, as it is written, and here he's quoting from a bunch of Hebrew Bible texts, therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. And that last one is our reading from today, Isaiah chapter 11. See, it felt like a very new thing that the Gentiles should be included in God's kingdom and with God's people. And certainly the Spirit was making that clear in a new way. But what Paul is showing the people who might be pushing back against that kind of radical inclusion is that it was always part of God's design for it to be that way. It was always part of God's design and God's desire that all people should glorify God with one voice, with one mouth. It's the people, it's us, it's it's you and me who insist on maintaining the boundaries and walls and the ins and the outs We're still doing it today, all across Christendom. 
We've traded out of one exclusive club and then gone and formed another. But that's not God's design. When everything seems dead, God brings life. Not because that's a new thing, but because that's what God does. And it's Jesus who makes that reality plain to us in a way that we begin to understand, but it's an eternal reality. If we would just listen and obey. And so I will offer you as an ending the concluding words of today's epistle reading, which is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope Hope in the wilderness, hope in being welcomed out of exclusion, hope in a stump, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be so. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks today, this second Sunday in Advent, for the beautiful, expansive picture of your eternal love and welcome that we see in the scriptures. Will you please bring it closer to us in this moment, in this service, in this week, in this season, so that we can not only experience it for ourselves, but begin to do what you've always wanted us to do, which is to open ourselves up, open our doors up, and welcome others in, so that together with one voice, with one mouth, all people can sing your praises. May we see glimpses of it in our time, we pray, through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.